You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. And guess what, guys? This is an awesome morning. You know why it's awesome? No matter what you're going through, no matter what has happened, no matter if you've had great trials this week or you've had a beautiful week all week, today is a good day because God's Word is radically available to you and to me if we lean in with ears to hear. Now, our one ask is that you would always test everything that you hear in this sermon, no matter who's preaching, by the Word of God, and that you would hold fast to things that are profitable for your life, which should be all things in Scripture. Now, we are in the COVID-19 season, which we understand is a pandemic, and many of you may not be able to attend your local church or you may be in between churches. We're happy you're here with us today. And our hope is that whether you're far off or you're part of our local body, that each person would be encouraged, they would be challenged, they would be transformed by the living word of God. Let's lean in to see what God has for us. Grace and peace. Ooh, marching in Ephesians in 2021. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them up to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be marching through verses 8 through 14 in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story. I just want to keep reminding each and every person that's leaning into this series that this whole book is about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And now that we're in chapter five and we're learning how to walk, right? Walk as Christians. We're learning how we take all the gifts that God's given us and we apply them and we do good in Christian activity. Now, last week in part 23, titled Imitating God in Our Activities, we finished up a two-hour sermon, right? The second half of that as we covered verses one through seven in chapter five. And we learned that God is calling us to both know and to obey and to imitate both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And we learned that the letter of the law is the the direct command to do certain things and to avoid and refrain from doing other things because God explicitly commands it in the Bible. We learned that it's, it's cold, it's uninterrupted, but it's the law. And we learned that the spirit of the law is what brings the motivation out of our affections to keep doing the letter of the law. It's the meaning and the why behind the what of the law. And we learned that doing one without the other is just not going to cut it. And we've been called to both operate and to obey and to imitate the letter and the spirit of the law. We learned that it would be so amazing, so legit, so crazy if Redemption City Church could be known in the Beaverton, Hillsboro, Portland area by how we walk in love with one another and with our community. We, we learned that we are to be a people called to have no limits, right? To have no limits in how we love other people, and that we should love radically in the way that Christ loved. Namely, he gave his own life up for our sake. Therefore, we are a people called to give our lives up 
for others out of Christian love. We learn that eventually our covetousness, if we leave it unchecked, will lead to compromise, folks, every single time. Because if we keep wanting that what does not belong to us and we don't repent of that, and if we want what we should not have and we don't deal with that, and then if we keep wanting things that are dark and hidden and we don't confess and bring it into the light, eventually the things that we keep wanting, 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 we're going to get. And the Bible says that covetousness and those wants will lead and yield death. We learn that we are people called to not have potty mouths, right? Like this means avoiding filthy talk and foolish talk and crude joking, right? That our mouths are an instrument of God to praise him with and to do good and to bless people with our mouths. And finally, we learn that we are not to be deceived. We are to be wise Christians, and we are to not be deceived by empty words. Every single thing that we hear, we should test by the compass of the biblical MRI machine of Scripture. And that brings us to today, and I'm so excited. It is 2021. We are in the new year, and this part 24, a fitting title titled, Awaken Children, of the light. And we're going to continue to put our boots on the ground as we walk forward now in chapter 5. And I want you to know that we're going to continue to to embark upon some life-changing content in Scripture, right? Across some life-changing context in Scripture as Paul keeps laying out beautifully how life should be for us as believers. Okay, so check this out. Paul is writing to his growing church in Ephesus, where we're picking up, who now knows who Jesus is. That's legit. Like, they've discovered that Jesus is the life, Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the truth. But unfortunately, many of them are not yet matured. You tracking with me? Both in their understanding and how they're living and acting in their Christian activity. They're still very much living like they're of the world. Now, we're all in the world, right? Like, you see me on this camera right now. I'm, I'm here. I'm in the world. You, you're sitting somewhere leaning in, and you're in the world. But the Bible is proclaiming loudly that we're not to be of the world. We're not supposed to get all nasty about stuff in our relationships when things don't go our way. But we do sometimes, don't we? We get a little bit we get a bit nasty sometimes. And we're not to be all bitter, baptized in pickle juice Urgh! every time someone offends us, right? But the reality is we, we do get bitter sometimes, don't we? And, and, and some of us, sometimes we're thinking wrong things, dirty things, dark things that the Bible says, hey, don't do that. But sometimes we do have minds that are in the gutters, right? We don't always think the right things. And so we all have the tendency to venture off track and to act like we're of the world, even though we're called to not be of the world. And so if you're sitting here today and you say, that's, that's a little bit me, Pastor Brandon, you're surprised by that, and you want to do something about that today, man, I want you to know that Jesus is so here today for you in this sermon, and he is so ready to provide a better way for you to move forward and to walk differently. And so Jesus, through Paul, he's, he's communicating a different way for us to live because of our new identity in Christ, namely a new identity to be an imitator 
of him. And the whole thing is based upon chapters 1 through 3, where we find our identity radically laid out because we are, we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and forever wealthy. We've been given an inheritance, and that means that we get to be so alive in Christ, and we're no longer dead to rights. We're so secure, we're so strong, and we're so stable in Christ. So, therefore, should we respond to all these blessings and everything that we've been given by just sitting around for the rest of our lives? Like, like no way, right? We are called because of all these good gifts that have been given to start walking. Are you with me? You got to start walking now, family and friends. You got to start walking in unity. Why? Because God has brought us together. He has reconciled all things. So we are not to be a people that are always fighting and bickering and arguing amongst each other in our churches, in our marriage. My God, the God of the universe, he's come down. He has saved us. We were dead. We were darkened. We deserved nothing. But he did this out of love for us. And now we are to be filled with love, lavishing it out on all of our relationships. Like we are now called to be walking in purity. Like why? Because our God on high, he's laid out things and he said, hey, these things are bad. They're forbidden. They are inherently going to wreck your life. And so we've been given a prescription for how to walk in purity so that we can have ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction in God to get the ultimate glory. Like, that's why we learned in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let's put that on the screen right now. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? For they shall see God. Like, that's so important. If, if, if we don't have purity, we can't see God. And if, and if we can't see God, other people can't see God in us. But that purity, folks, it, 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 it's, it's in our mind, it's in our heart, but it's also in our bodies. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through, uh, 19 through 20. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Say that, Brandon, I'm not my own. Say your name. You are not your own. And for you were bought with a price. Man, that is so important. So we are got to glorify God in our bodies. That's what it's saying in the text. Okay, so here's my question to you today. Do you seek to glorify God with your body? Think about that deeply with me. Is the glory of God evident in your actions, in your intentions, in the way that you work, in the way that you date, in your relationships, even how you dance and the things that you do. Like, lean in. Do you understand the great price that Jesus paid for with his body, for our body, so we can do good things with it? And, and you know why this is so important that we get this deep into the crevices of our heart? Because later in the book of Corinthians, and most definitely at the end of this book of Ephesians, we are going to be called to stand victorious as Christians. And that means we want to be glad followers of the things that God's laying out, knowing that it's for our ultimate good. And we all want and we all desire to be victorious in everything that we do, don't we? Like, we want to be victorious in our schools, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our marriage, in our hobbies, and in our crafts. We want to get 
of victory ahead of us. But folks, this is true of all creation as well. Lions and leopards and tigers and whales and, and, and beetles and every other type of thing, they all want to be victorious insofar as God has designed them to be in their habitat with their cubs, raising whatever they're doing. All of creation wants to be victorious as they've been designed to be. Yet, we, we have been set apart from all of creation. We've been equipped by God, and he's made a way specifically for us like no other creation, including the heavenly hosts and the angels, to be radically, radically who he's called us to be, ending victorious as his sons, as his daughters. And there's no greater gift than that. And what I love about our God on high is that he doesn't just tell us that we need to be victorious by running around and we're just aimlessly and recklessly doing a bunch of things. He doesn't do that. Instead, he gives us a wise guide and an instruction manual, a biblical instruction manual of how to become victorious in a manner that is sustainable and efficient and safe and so stable and glorifying and God-honoring and sin-killing and hope-infusing. And it's called, sit and know that I am God and receive what I've done for you and then walk out of confidence into Christian activity and then stand no matter what, claiming victory in Christ. So if you've ever seen a professional basketball player, these are gifted athletes, right, who play sports at the highest level and they shoot a ball into a hoop sometimes 30 feet away. It's incredible. And when they shoot that basketball into the hoop, I want you to know that they have less than an inch of error. room. That's the margin of error to make the shot. So do you think that all these great basketball players just woke up able to do that? Like they just can do it because of their talent. Like, like no way. These guys are working hard on their craft. They are putting in the practice. Like, did you know that Kobe Bryant would spend three to four hours a day after playing the game looking and examining how he played out his performance. Isn't that crazy? Like he was so intense about becoming one of the best basketball players that he leaned in and he lived a radically disciplined life aimed at the goal of being the best basketball player. So there was discipline and there was a knowingness of the things that he needed to get done. Okay, so pay attention, lean in with me. You and me, we're not going to be CEOs in Christ. We are not going to be a legit builder of anything in Christ. We're not going to be a talented entrepreneur in Christ. We're not going to be victorious mothers and fathers in Christ. We're not going to be a core contributor to a church in Christ. You're not going to get victory, and you're not going to truly accomplish anything lasting if you don't put in the work, and you don't have discipline, and you don't work hard. Victorious people stand the test of time and they endure and they work hard, period. And remember, you only get so many budgeted days and you only get so many budgeted dollars. Therefore, when you walk into a church and you don't want to be bothered and you don't want to serve and you don't want to take your holiness seriously and you don't want to get in the game when you don't want to work hard family and friends and you don't want to be victorious and you don't want to lay your life out 
and when you don't want to examine your own life, and when you choose to be lazy and laggardly instead of being seriously on mission for Christ, pay attention. Do not expect to walk and to stand in Christ because you're not going to make it. Now, now, now when I say this, I want you to really, really understand God's heart right now because this could feel like pressure and, and, and legalism. I want you to understand God's heart for you right now because he's not some joy killer trying to make your life terrible through rituals and work-based religions and, and, and restrictions and rules. Like God gives his yeses and God gives his noes for, not for our bad, but for our benefit. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't give us yeses and noes for our bad, but he does it for our benefit. Remember, sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's so radically forbidden because it's inherently bad. And God also doesn't leave us to do all the hard work. Lest this be work-based religion. He does not leave us to do all the hard work, folks, without equipping us first with every single thing that we need. Are you tracking with me? God is calling us to do hard work as Christians, but he first equips us with every single thing that we need. Like we're not working for, from a deficit anymore, family. We don't have a deficit. We are overwhelmed with blessings to do everything that God is calling us to do. All those blessings and all those gifts and that position of adoption were given to us by God so that we would be so ready and so stable and so up for the task of what he's asking us to do. But sometimes, especially when we are struggling in life, experience is our best teacher isn't it? Like, how many times have you learned things the hard way and you had to experience trials and tribulations along the journey? Like, there are so many people right now in prison spending all of their budgeted days counseling other young people who are not on the right track, trying with all their hearts to say, hey, look at me. Don't go in the direction that I went. I didn't listen to my coach. I didn't listen to my mentor. I didn't listen to my parents. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my days in prison. Young man, young woman, stop right now in your tracks. Don't keep going. I'm a witness. It's not worth it. So yes, while experience is a great teacher, it doesn't have to be our primary teacher. Are you with me? Experience is a good thing, but it doesn't have to be the main thing. Like, you can listen to the Word of God, folks, without experiencing all these things that are bad. Don't say, oh, I need to see why it's forbidden first. It's going to hurt you. It's going to wreck you. You can listen to the Word of God and resolve to say yes to God because he said so. You can listen to Pastor Jack and me when we're preaching or exhorting our hearts out based upon the Word of God and say yes to God as your pastors are preaching. You don't have to experience the other side. So, so that's going to be up to you today, and that's going to be up to me today. we got to make a decision. Nobody can do it for you. You have to decide. So with that being said, let's get ready to read some Bible right now, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 of what we've been learning, and then we're going to go from there. All right, here we go. Here's the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God. Now, how does God want us to be imitators? As beloved children 
of God. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. We've been learning that as it is proper among saints. Folks, we can't keep wanting what doesn't belong to us. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. We have to have a mouth of Christ. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Oh, I love that. Be grateful, 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 grateful for everything God gives. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that meaning an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is sobering. Let no one, no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Okay, and really, this, this really all comes down to not trying to have things our way and finally, finally saying, God, have it your way. And that's hard, right? Because we're living in a culture that is constantly pressuring and promoting that we should seek and to live based off of our own preferences all the time. We can all go to Burger King and have it our way, right? And we can just take a break and get a piece of that Kit Kat bar, right? Every single thing is, is, is crafted and it's packaged to say, what is your preference? Nothing else matters. Seek your wants with all your heart, mind, and your soul. So in reality, everything we're learning in Ephesians 5 is a battle for truth against light and darkness, heaven and hell, God and Satan. It's a battle for truth, folks, in our society. Jesus came with radical grace and radical truth, proclaiming this great thing. He said he's going to take us with him to heaven, to be with the Father, with no more pain, no more sickness. Are you kidding me? Reestablishing a new heaven, a new earth, a new Eden. But there's a condition. You and me, we've got to repent. We've got to own our stuff. We have to let God forgive us, and we've got to forgive others. There's these things that God has laid out in these conditions. And did you know, thinking about this, did you know that the only sin that is not forgivable, which removes our ability to have this gift of eternity with God, did you know that it's not fornication? Did you know that? It's not fornication. As much as we want to make sexual sin and murder and, ready for this one, and suicide the worst sins ever, did you know that the Bible says the only sin that, will, that isn't forgivable and will forever separate you from the God of the universe? Do you want to know what that sin is? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean? And did you, know, did you know what that means? Do you know what blaspheming the Holy Spirit means? Okay, so let's, let's make it simple, and let me give you a really short pastoral definition right now of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You ready? Here it is. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit means to tell the God of the universe, no, 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 
when he gives you and he gives me the truth and a standard about something. So, so, so God in his word, he lays out truth. And God in the scripture, he lays out a standard. And then God in scripture says he commands certain things. And when we reject who he is and what he says, we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And the word of God says that sin is unforgivable. And that sin separates you in eternity. Pay attention. When the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do this, and you should start doing that, and you ignore, and you refuse to obey it, when you activate your will in that way, unfortunately, folks, you begin to walk away and out of the forgiveness zone of God. And God says, oh no, based upon your actions and your heart, as you are rejecting me and my plan, my design, my creation, I actually can't forgive you because you're not stepping into the blood bought sacrifice that I've laid before you. You're not stepping into the forgiveness. You're not stepping into repentance. You're not stepping into your new life. And because you're choosing to alienate yourself from me, that separation comes with a massive verdict of death forever. Now, folks, this isn't referring to the genuine Christ follower who's struggling. Are you with me? This is not a, this is not a, this is not a sermon to make you afraid if you are a Bible-believing Christian. This is not applying to the genuine Christian that is struggling. Otherwise, none of us would have any hope to boast in about the works of Christ. There's a massive difference between struggling with your sin and being radically committed to putting the old man away, saying, no, 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 and stepping radically daily, even though you're stumbling into your new life and your new activities in Christ. There's a difference between doing that and living content and happy in the dark. So if you are willfully choosing the darkness, if you are willfully saying, no, God, I'm not doing it, and you are snarling and you are snaring and you are mocking the God of the universe, if you are blaspheming God, the verdict, folks, has been set for you. And the verdict is death and an eternity separated from God. But when you and me and our brothers and sisters, when we resolve in our heart that, God, you are so right, God, and I'm so wrong. When you say, I'm the, I'm the zero, God, and you're my hero, grace falls like rain all around you. And then there's a flood of grace that's permeating around you for other people, folks. It gets legit. And even though you are still screwed up and messed up with grace-filled rain all around you, do you want to know what God does? God does something amazing. You want to know what it is? He starts to put you to work in his kingdom, despite the fact that you still have muck and mire. He gives you a new purpose, a new identity, a calling, and he activates you while you're still in motion of being healed. Folks, this is the gospel. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to love God. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to have every single one of your sins worked out. You just got to have what's worked out is that I'm a slave to the God of the Bible, gladly following him, stumbling along the way, getting active in his kingdom. Oh, man, and then he starts to put you to work in his kingdom. My God, he gives you all these new things to focus on. And let me tell you, life 
doesn't always get easier at that point. But my God, it gets so much better because you are so set free now to be doing things in the light. And the light is good for me and you. And while God's doing that, he is readily and actively still working on you. He doesn't just start using you for the kingdom and use you up and throw you away. No, you get life as you give to others while God still works on that sanctification process, healing you radically day by day. Check this out. And this whole process should well up in your heart a spirit of gratitude. You should have songs and hymns and melodies that says, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're my king. You're my king. You are so amazing. I'm so broken, but you're using me. I can't believe you're using me in this relationship at this church with this community group. And then at night, you continue to work on my soul, healing me. Praise God. And that's how I want us to interact with the main text that we're going to be learning today, folks, namely verses 8 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 5. Let's have a spirit of gratitude and an anthem that says, you're my king, you're my king, you're my king, all over our hearts today. So let's get ready to read these verses, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to glorify God in faithful preaching and exhortation, okay? Here we go. Let's read Ephesians 8 through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Verse 13, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the beautiful word of God that should cause us to say, thank you, God, you're my king. Let's pray. Let's pray for our hearts. Abba, Father, we, we love you. We are so amazed by you. In many ways, it's just another Sunday, God. But the reality is each and every Sunday is so special and so glorious because they all represent this radical opportunity we get to put all of our attention on you. And that's legit. Lord, we passed our one-year anniversary some time ago now. We've been marching in Ephesians for a long time now. And off and on, we are learning and we are trying to strive to be imitators of God. Lord, it's 2021 and there's families that are a part of this church. There's hopes we all have for our future and you're just so good to us, Dad. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask that today would count for us all. Would you stoke our embers into flame and burst us into radical fire for your kingdom? 
Strengthen the areas of our bones that are decaying and fill our flesh with your spirit so that we would not be dead skeletons walking with no purpose. We don't want that. And above all things, I just ask for your help this morning. Lord, I need you both spiritually and especially physically. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, now I've been exhorting and proclaiming about how much God wants us to walk in victory, right? So we've been talking about God wants us to walk in victory. Like if we want to live in that chapter six type of standing in victory, eventually we have to walk in integrity. We have to walk in unity. We have to walk in holiness and purity. And the only way that can happen is if we sit first, okay? track with me. So if you don't know God's love in a way that you are saying, man, I confidently want to submit to your will, God. Hey, if you're not at the point yet, folks, where you're like, God, you are so right and I'm so wrong. Any feelings that I have that are contrary to what you say, I'm going to deem that those feelings are wrong. Hey, if you're not at that point yet, you're not going to walk and you're not going to stand well, and you're not going to make it if you stay that way. Because you got to submit to him, and you got to believe that God's ways are better. So first, if you have truly set, and you are actually now really grasping that your heavenly Father is good, this is what God does. This is how he responds back to you. He says, oh, okay, I'm so excited for you, my son and my daughter. Let's do this. Let's walk together now. Let, it's going to be so amazing. It's going to be the time of your life. It's not going to always be easy, but your life is about to start getting better, and you're going to do so great, my son. You're going to do so great, my daughter, and I'm going to be with you every step of of the way, or as Matthew chapter 28 says, until the end of the age. Wow. Okay, so this is where we now come into verse 8. Verse 8 is going to collide with that mindset, and it's going to be legit. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse verse 8. Okay, so verse 7 said, therefore do not become partakers with them. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. Wow. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay, so if you have a testimony, then you know what it was like to be darkness, don't you? I, I, I know I did. I remember what it's like to be darkness. You know what it's like to be so lost and to have all your own rules and ultimately to get a bunch of bills emotionally and spiritually because of the things that you were doing and engaging in. And do you remember what it was like when your bank account looked like it was radically absent of real joy and motivation? You remember that, don't you? So, so Paul's exhorting in this verse to the church of Ephesus, and he's exhorting, therefore, to us how important it is to walk in the light. Like, have you ever driven in a car in the middle of the night and turned your headlights off, like when you're on a windy road where there's no streetlights from the city? Have you ever done that in the night, turned your light off just for a second? It's pitch black, isn't it? You can't see anything, and it's overwhelming, and it's super scary. I wouldn't recommend doing that. But what happens when you turn your headlights right back on? Like, all of a sudden, light burst right in front of you, and you can see 
everything illuminated again, right? And then you're off to your destination and you're confident again as you move forward. Okay, so in that same way, when we're driving the proverbial roads of our lives without our Christ-centered headlights on, our vantage point, lean in, our vantage point of God's desires for us, they go pitch black. We just don't quite understand them. His thoughts become weird to us. His ways become weird to us, and we can't see. We are clouded with darkness. We can't see anything, folks, and the journey of life becomes radically dangerous as we drive aimlessly not knowing where we're going. And it guarantees in Scripture that it's going to end in a terrible accident, ultimately death. Yet two beautiful things occur when we flip the gauge back on with our Christ-centered headlights right? And here's what they are. Here's number one. The first thing that occurs when our Christ-centered headlights come back on is we can see. You can see when the light of Christ is in your life. All of a sudden, you can see the errors of your ways. All of a sudden, the Word of God becomes plain to you. You see the things that are forbidden, and you see that they are bad. And then you say, I don't want to do those things. You see the areas in your marriage that you need to work on, your parenting that needs to be um, given over to the Lord and say, God, help me. You begin to see all these beautiful things. And the second thing that occurs as your Christ-centered headlights stay on and you stay seeing, folks, you can grow. Oh, you can grow in Jesus. Like all of a sudden, the light allows you to walk and to start performing these activities based on your new identity and you start to grow more like Jesus. Okay, now before we can really fillet these things open today, we're going to really need to rally around a wise and biblical understanding of what the light is that's being talked about in verse 8 right now. Okay, so let's do that right now. Let's kind of walk through this pastoral definition of what it means to be the light. Here it is. Being the light means that you now stand in radical agreement with Christ in all the things he proclaims to be true and pleasing, while also agreeing with what he declares is forbidden and unholy. The, those of the light have a keen understanding that their lack of perfection is not an excuse to disagree with the truth. Those of the light work to move from admitting and acknowledging that God's ways are the best to obeying and participating in God's ways in such a manner that now reveals that they truly understand that His ways are best. Therefore, the believer moves from excuses to what repentance produces. Environmentally, those of the light can be identified by their honesty regarding their sin, weakness, and limited abilities. This is because their security is found within their identity in Christ, not their skills and gifts. This makes those in darkness highly attracted to them because their security of the light genuinely is what those of darkness desire and chase after namely to be known 
and loved. Oh, wow. Like, what a gift, right? Like, look at this opportunity that God has given us to be those of the light. Like, you have this radical opportunity and privilege to walk in the light, to be light in your marriage, in your friendships, in your communities, in your parenting. You get to be that hope for the world. You can take a risk family and friends, inside of your church because Christ has set you so free to be simply yet supernaturally yourself with all your blemishes and all your imperfections. You can just be you and you can encourage others that it's safe to just be them with all of their imperfections and with all their blemishes. Like the church is supposed to be a safe place, folks, for those who are far from God to feel the love of Christ. That's what Redemption City Church has got to be, folks. We got to be a church that's known for the prostitutes and the widows and the hurting and the suffering to come in and to say, this place is different. I'm accepted. I'm loved. And I want to be here, folks. And if you don't want to be a part of a church that is accepting and bringing these different kinds of people in and loving them where they're at with the hopes of God transforming them into a new creation into an imitator of God. If you don't want to see that work, Redemption City Church is going to be a hard place for you to stay. Because for us as elders of this church, and for me as the lead pastor, this church has been built for redemption. It's Redemption City Church. It's for people that are far from God's story to reclaim their story. Redemption is the aim, folks. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've been doing pastoral counseling and life coaching for about seven years now. I just want you to know that. And do you know what I dislike the most about pastoral counseling? Okay, let me tell you. The thing I dislike the most about pastoral counseling is when the person or the couple is not radically honest about themselves or the situation at hand when they don't step into the light that we're talking about. Like, those kind of sessions are boring, and they waste everyone's time. But I love meeting with people, and I love pastoring people in these counseling who are ready to lay all their crap and all their imperfections and all their blemishes directly on the table. Oh, that gets me so excited because now we can get to the work in the light. The Christ-centered headlights are on, and we have prescriptions for all this stuff. And so it gets legit. They're in the light, they, and they know that they don't have to have shame or condemnation because in Christ, the light is good. It is not condemning but it's convicting. It's not condemning. It's convicting. And it convicts us into holiness. It convicts us into healing. It convicts us into joy. And that is when counseling gets legit, when redemption and reconciliation become the aims because we are confident to step into the light. So so what about you? Do you want to go back into the dark? Like, is that what you want? Like, do like, Don't go back to being a weirdo and a wacko with all your dark thoughts and your dark mouth and your dark, dirty thinking. That's going to mess you up. Like, I could take a pig and I can 
give that pig 15 baths over and over and over again. And then I could dress up the pig and put nice fancy clothes on it. And then I can spray perfume all over the pig. And then I can give the pig a nice diamond nose ring. But how many know that when I take that perfumed, clothed, diamond nose wearing pig and I put it on the floor and right next to a mud pit, what is the pig going to do? It's going to jump directly in the mud pit and it's going to get all dirty because a pig is a pig. A pig is going to be a pig no matter how shiny and clean I try to make it. Okay, so that's the same with our sin, folks. No matter how much we try to rationalize it and, and make it small and, and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and we try to put some perfume of rationalization on it, sin is sin. It's ugly. It's dirty. It's foul. It is nasty. And you got to call it what it is. got to step into that Ephesians verse 8, light. you got to be the light. And the last time I checked, we're not called pigs in Scripture. We're called sheep. You tracking with me? We're sheep. And if I take a sheep, I don't know if you know anything about sheep, so if I take a sheep and I throw it into the mud, that sheep's going to look back at me and be like, why, why did you do, you do that? that? Why did you do that? Because sheeps don't want to be in the mud. And the sheep is going to get out of the mud. It's going to start licking and rolling over in the grass trying to get clean, trying to get the mess off, bam, 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 wanting some help. And that's what we've been called to do. We are not to be pigs. We are sheep, folks. And we are called to walk in the things that God's called us to. And guess what? And guess what happens when we begin to do that? We get cleansed and we get healed by the word of God. It changes things for us. And all of this is important because of verse 9. Let's look at that Look at that now. Here we go. So verse 8 said, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Why? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Oh, wow, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit. Namely, we all want the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, do we have any gardeners here at Redemption City Church? I know we have at least one. Sister Vanessa, our worship leader, she's a gardener, and I'm and I'm sure Sister Vanessa just loves going to her garden and having no light. I mean, she loves it. In fact, she loves planting as many things as possible, and she says, I hope the light never comes out. Like, no way Vanessa would not say that, right? Because every gardener knows how powerful the light is. We want the light as gardeners. Sister Vanessa knows this, right? She knows that all things that she's working on as she's toiling out there need, they need the light, folks, to grow well. So let me ask you right now, in light of verse 9, are you fruity? Literally, folks, are you fruity? Like, are you bearing fruit all around and through your life in such a way that makes you fruity? Like, I'm not trying to be nosy and sin-sniffing sin around for every little thing you do wrong, but I'm asking you, do you have spiritual fruitiness bearing in your life? Is it germinating in the things that you're connected to? Is your life embodying love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? 
Because if you're not bearing these type of fruit in your life radically in these categories, it's because there's not enough light in you. And not having enough light is causing you not to grow. If the plants don't have light in the garden, they're going to wither away and they're going to die. And if you and me don't have light, we can't grow and we won't bear fruit of love and fruit of joy. We, we, we just pitter back out of joylessness and bitterness and impatience, folks. We got to have light. So who are we in light of all this? We are the people called to be children of light, filled with the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives. We are to be sheep that desire to be clean and cleansed and, and held and healed and washed, not pigs in the mud that try to rationalize and make our sin pretty. As Christ followers, we relish the opportunity to walk in the light in our multifaceted relationships, knowing that our imperfections and blemishes don't discount us as children of God. This is good news. Let's keep marching to verse 10. Okay, so for at one time you were darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here's verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. So when you become a Christian, you get to discern what pleases God. And this is so amazing. You want to know why? Because you get to concern yourself with God's will and not just your own anymore. You are free to stop being so self-centered about what you want all the time and to move your affections to get the privilege of the amazing journey of saying, what does God want? What does God want? What pleases my heavenly Father. Like Jesus modeled this so perfectly in Mark chapter 14. He says, not my will, God, but your will be done. In other words, what his Father was desiring, our Father on high was desiring, he said, what you desire is so right above all things, even if it's not convenient and pleasurable, Father. And so not my will, but your will be done. And if you remember the life-changing context in Mark chapter 14, across that life-changing content of when Jesus was speaking, you would know that God was asking him to do something that was going to be incredibly painful and unpleasant. Do you know what it was? It was to die, folks. But it wasn't just to die. It was for Jesus to die for something that he didn't even do. He had committed no wrong, but God had called him to die. And so for us as Christ followers, Jesus is our great example and our hope of why we are called to move out of our story into God's story. Because believe it or not, this is when life gets way better and more, more interesting and fulfilling and exciting. I don't feel like this exciting, Pastor Brandon, but it does, folks. Like, did you know how boring life is when you live solely based only about your own preferences and your own desires and nobody else? Like, did you know that you are an eternally created person? 
following and chasing after earthly realities that in time are going to return to dust. They're but a blink of an eye. Are you tracking? I'm going to say this again. You are created as an eternal being that's going to live forever. And we're not called to obsess over earthly, temporary things. Do you really want to be known as an eternal creature obsessed with temporary realities? Because that's, that's stupid, folks. That's, that's really dumb. But, but God is saying, if you focus, brother and sister, if you focus, Brandon, put your name there, if you focus, whatever your name is, on my will, and you stay involved in my mission, your life is going to go so well for you. And then when you die, you're going to go to heaven with me, and we're going to watch the highlight reels of my mission being perfectly accomplished forever and eternity, and it's going to be an amazing banquet. It's going to be an amazing party, and I want you to be there. So don't sell out, folks. Don't do it. Don't sell out for your will. Go all in for God's will. Humble yourselves today and try to, verse 10, discern what is pleasing to your heavenly Father's heart. But Pastor Brent, how, how, how do I know what's pleasing to God? you got to spend time in His Word. you got to spend time in His communities that He's created called the church. And the combination of being in a Christ-centered community and the combination of spending time in the Word of God, and when that thing collides and the Holy Spirit lives and indwells in you, you begin to know how to discern what pleases the Lord. Okay, so, so do it right now. Like, consider what the Lord desires you to do as you prepare for 2021. And you work hard to please Him in everything that He's showing you. And then keep going and doing it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and discern what pleases Him. And then start to say, what's going to please you, God, at work? What's going to please you, God, in how I'm navigating my family? What's going to please you, Lord, in how I interact here at Redemption City Church? What's going to please you, Lord, about how I'm a student at this university? You, you start asking, how can I please you? How can I please you? How can I please you? And over time, you begin to have confidence that grows as you hear the voice of the Lord. Because when that is your focus, namely pleasing God, then things start getting legit, folks, in your life. Because God starts getting the glory and you start bearing so much fruit. You get fruity and you start bearing all these beautiful things and your life, your life just gets better. Because wherever God is guiding, he's providing. Let me say it again. Wherever God is guiding you, he's always going to show up and provide for you. Now, let's look, at, let's look at a faithful warning now of an exhortation in verse 11 of the text. Here it is. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, so in other words, don't associate with dark things. Like, like, don't do that. Now, notice it doesn't say dark people. It doesn't say that. It says don't associate with dark things, unfruitful works, things of the darkness. Because remember, it would be impossible not to associate with dark people. We'd have to go to a new universe, but as soon as we showed up, we're sinful people. So that's not what it's saying. Instead, it's saying don't associate with sinful behavior. Don't do it, sons and daughters of Christ. 
trust the Holy Spirit in you, that he will be a wise guide, and he will convict you if you listen to his still and small whisper. And your inner compass, namely the Holy Spirit, will say, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be doing that. You need to go right now. Get out of here. You got to listen. And I tell you what, this verse has been so squarely on my heart as a father and a husband in my home, as a pastor in this community, and as a contributor in my, in my city. Like, what would it look like if we were like, man, we're not going to take any part in darkness as the Rochelle family. Hey, your family, hey, we're going we're gonna to be on guard, and we're not going to associate with unfruitful works. We're not going to do that. What if we were a church and we worked radically hard and said, hey, we're going to be on guard and we're going to examine, we're going to pray, we're going to hold steadfast and make sure we're not engaging with unfruitful works of darkness. Now, now notice it doesn't say in the text to not only just not take part in unfruitful works, but it also says expose them. Oh, man. And if I'm being honest, I believe this is one of the weaker areas of the church at large today. And it's really our Achilles Hill. We want to be so nice and so squeaky, so squeaky clean and so Disney Channel. And heaven forbid the church ever calls out sin for what it is and says, hey, we're not standing for that. We have to be that as a church, folks. Now, this isn't an excuse to go around beating people over their heads with the Bible and thumping others with your judgments, right? That's not what God's calling us to do. We don't want to go around hurting people, but it is called grace and truth for a reason, folks. And in order to activate the truth part, we have to lean in and be willing to expose that which is not of God. Are you with me? We have to be willing to expose that which is not like Christ. And we got to do it with love. Because genuine believers cannot permit that which is not permissible. I'm going to say this again. Genuine, Christ-exalting believers cannot permit what God says is not permissible. We walk around saying, I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell, and I believe in Jesus totally, but I don't want to change my life. Not really. Can't do that. Pay attention. You can't walk around saying, I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell, and I believe in Jesus totally, but I never want to speak up for righteousness, and I'm not going to expose darkness. You can't be and you can't act like that because when God is calling you to do this and God is calling you to do that, one of the things that he's calling us to do is to expose unfruitful works of darkness. It's right there in the text. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We've got to be willing to do that. Lean in. This verse is saying at the beginning, have no fellowship, none at all with unfruitful works. So that means we need to have an understanding of what unfruitful works really is. What are these false fruits? Because we are called to expose them, but we can't expose what we don't understand. So I've provided another pastoral definition so that we can kind of wrap our minds around this as simply as possible. So here's a definition of what it means to have unfruitful works or false fruit. Here it is, so we could be on the same page. 
false fruit are characters, conditions, and qualities that appear to be the same as what is described in Scripture, but are devoid of the quality of substance within their integrity. Qualities like love, peace, kindness, humility, self-control, and other fruit of the Spirit are deceptively repackaged in counterfeit ways that lack Christ-infused power. In other words, it's love outside of God's command, peace achieved outside of God's design, self-control devoid of the Holy Spirit power, so on and so forth. Therefore, these false fruits draw people to each other and themselves, not to God. They dishonor God as they promote self-idolatry and self-sufficiency. These false fruits are seen most in public for praise and are radically absent in private. False fruit can be, uh, excuse me, false fruit can produce feelings and emotions of love, peace, kindness, and self-control, but they are not enduring, they're not redemptive or submissive to God's wise intentions. Okay, so in other words, we are not to love the way we want or to achieve peace the way we desire, and we are most definitely not to make up our own definition of what goodness is, but rather God desires me and God desires you to bear biblical fruit within our lives, looking to his will and his word as the compass for our actions. Like D.L. Moody, uh, Moody, a theologian, once said, character is what you do in the dark, not in public. Character is what you do in the dark, not in public. So if you act loving around a bunch of people, but then you are hurtful to people when you are in the privacy of your home, that's not cutting it. If you are so patient and you are so gentle in public conversations, but then you're angry and hostile and bitter as soon as you are behind closed doors, th- that, that, that's false fruit. If you present yourself as a humble person and then you turn around and you're brash and you're prideful in your heart or in your little community group when nobody else is listening, these things, these things are false fruits. And if that's you, you're living in a very dangerous place. And Paul calls that darkness. He calls that unfruitful living. And I'm calling that false fruit. So who are we? We are the people called to discern what the will of the Lord is above our own. That's so critical. We are called to move away from self-centered wants to God-centered wants because wherever God guides, He provides. That's a good thing. Therefore, we are not to associate with sinful behavior and dark things, but rather we are to expose them by the light of our purity and righteousness. We are to be the bearers of good fruit and not false fruit, focusing on our character that we embody not only publicly, but most importantly, privately. Okay, let's keep tracking now into verse 12. Verse 11 said, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Okay, this means Don't even talk about things 
of the dark. It's an utter waste of my time and your time, folks. It's a slippery, slippery slope. Like, do you want to know something that's super weird? Um, Did you know that we live in a generation that loves to talk about other people? not just in American culture, all around the world. We have a unhealthy obsession with talking and gossiping about other people and their darkness. Like, what's up with that? As a matter of fact, to run an effective political campaign, the primary weapon of choice is to talk badly about the other party, to dig up, dig up as much information as you can find about the person's past, and then to expose them. Like, how wacky and weird and wonky and ridiculous is that? Like, even the news channels make millions and billions of dollars telling bad stories far more than good stories. Like, crime and murder and bad news sells, folks, not the good news. But our God on high is saying we are Christians. We are to walk like Christ, and we are not to participate nor engage in that type of behavior of lifting up darkness and making light of it and trying to sell it, folks. Instead, God in Scripture says to focus on that which is pure, praiseworthy, and worthy of a good report. That's what we do as Christ followers. And so let's march on to verse 13 so we can keep seeing what God's trying to show us right here. But, right, so there's a but here, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Wow. For anything that becomes visible is light. Wow. So what God is saying here is that you and me are children of light now. You and me, we don't have to work that hard, folks. Just the fact that you and me are light means we're going to expose darkness to some degree. So if you are wondering just a few verses back how you can participate in exposing the darkness, you're like, how do I do that? I want to be, I want to be faithful, Pastor Brandon. I want to do what God's commanding me to do. But how? How do I expose the darkness? Listen, it's not going to be primarily by walking around being a Bible thumper. It's not going to be about being aggressive to everybody and rising up and constantly trying to correct everybody every time you see something. That's not what the text is saying. It's primarily by letting your light shine folks letting your light shine by being so bright with filled with so much light in you are you with me it's by being so bright and filled with so much light with so much truth and so much grace and having so much fruitiness inside of you that darkness and sinful behavior are exposed by the mere fact of your righteousness and your holiness There's absolutely going to be a time, folks, where you do have to shut the mouths of those who are preaching a false gospel. There are times where we got to lean in and we got to use our mouths and say, hey, God said no. Hey, that is not okay. And we got to have those moments where we expose the darkness. But primarily, our way of exposing the darkness is going to be by shining so radically as children of light. 
Like, I remember when I was in elementary school, and one of my friends, he, he, he was a Christian, he gave his life to the Lord at eight years old, and he was just such a good little boy. And I remember the power of his light. Like, everybody would be playing outside and playing tetherball, and some of the kids would be cussing, and some would be doing the wrong things, and then he would walk up, and he was so gentle, he was so kind, he was so loving, and he was already at eight years old so willing to talk about Jesus that, you know what started happening? The kids who cussed, they stopped cussing around him. They're like, oh, here he comes. Don't cuss around him because his light was so vibrant that it exposed that what they were doing is wrong. And they had a conviction they didn't want to do that around him. And that's at eight years old, folks. We, as the people of God, when we are living so right and so bright, it exposes the darkness. Now, what I'm about to say right now is going to be completely eye-opening for some of us today. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? It's going to be eye-opening. Did you know that reading the Bible doesn't make you a more sinful person? Did you know that? What? Yeah, reading the Bible does not make you a more sinful person. Because so many people get their heads all twisted and they get all wacky in their thoughts when they come into a relationship with Christ. And so I want to break this down for you. Okay, here's what I mean. As you began your relationship with Jesus, you probably start to feel all of a sudden like you had so many problems, like things were so much worse now, right? You're like, man, I don't know why I have all these different problems. Life was easier back then, and I feel like life is getting harder. What's going on? But the reality is, folks, you're simply getting healthier. You're getting healthier by the light. You see, the Bible is the light. And the more you read the Bible, the more the light shines down on your life and it exposes the darkness inside of you. It's like the example I gave a few sermons ago about that mirror that women use to look at the blemishes in their face. Did they get more dirty because they turned the lights on in the mirror? Or is it exposing the dirt that was already there? Oh, folks, when the Bible, when the light of the Bible comes in and you start to read the Bible more and more and more, the light shines brighter and brighter and brighter and you're able to see and I'm able to see just how sick we are. But that's a good and a right and a true thing because the Bible shows you and the Bible shows me what's out of order in our lives. And that's a blessing, folks. So don't look back on your wonder years thinking that you were so much better. It's not true. It's a lie. It's just Satan trying to whisper and trying to get you to go backwards. No, that's when you were in the dark. That's when you couldn't feel. That's when you were so callous. But now, now you could feel everything. You have these Christ-centered feelings and emotions that says, this is wrong. It's forbidden. I can't keep doing this. And that is an overwhelming reward for me and you. Because now the light, the Christ-centered headlights, are illuminating where you need to grow and where you need to heal and where you need to repent and ultimately change. Remember, when you became a Christian, things weren't always going to be easy, but God promised they're going to get better. And I don't know why that's not told in church. If you've never hold that, if you never, if you've never been told that, I'm so sorry. But let me tell you today, when you made your decision in Christ, things were not promised to get easier. They were promised to get better. And Christ will see that promise to the end. And you can stand upon the promises of God. Okay, so let's get ready to look at our last verse today, and let's start to land the plane in a wise way. Here goes verse 14. So verse 13 said, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, 
for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, did you know that life doesn't stop for anything or anyone at all? Like, I wasn't feeling good the other day, which happens a lot, and so I went to lay down for a couple hours. And did you know that while I was sleeping, my kids still played with their toys, my wife still went on some errands to the store, Ezekiel still went to DoorDash, Pastor Jack was still working hard on something to do with Redemption City Church, and everywhere people were existing. Like, life continued to happen even though I was sleeping. So when I woke up, you know what I did? I, I went to my kids and I said, hey, how is what you, how's it going? What you been doing? And then I checked in with my wife and I asked how her errands went. And then I checked in with Ezekiel and I asked him how his door dash went. And then I called Pastor Jack and I asked him if, if I could be of any assistance. You want to know why? Because life kept moving forward even though I was sleeping. Therefore, you and me, we got to understand that when we are snoozing and sleeping and slumbering in our lives, when we are sleeping and slumbering in our life with Christ, things are still going to move forward without you. Did you know that Redemption City Church is working hard every single day to grow and to prepare people for all that God has called them to be. Did you know that? Did you know that Redemption City Church is working hard to create an atmosphere where people can experience their redemption in a real way? And so if you're sleeping and you're slumbering and you're snooping, the church is still working hard. You're just out of the game, folks. And while you're sleeping, people are forging relationships. And while you're sleeping, people are learning each other and growing deeper in a quantity, type of family. And the God of the universe is saying to you, if that's you, wake up, wake up, wake up. You're going to miss out on all that I have for you. Things are going to keep going on without you. And our Heavenly Father doesn't want that for us. And make no mistake, this is not about just physical sleeping. I'm talking about spiritually sleeping. It's a type of laziness from inside of us sometimes that communicates that the things of God are not important enough to us. It's a type of spiritual lethargy that doesn't see your own purpose and identity and how it leads to really important activities that ultimately leads to the destiny that God has called you to have as an ambassador of Christ, folks. And the scripture is saying, awake, you sleeper. Awake, rise from the dead bones of your living and get on mission for Christ. You can't keep sleeping, fathers. You got to get in the game with your wife and your kids. Stop sleeping. Everybody, children, mothers, we got to awake into the game and the mission of Christ. And this goes for older people, especially. Let me love on you right now, the older generation. I love having the older generation and everyone leaning in in multiple states, right? We have people even leaning into the Ephesians series in different countries. Let's lean into the older people. Hey, the Bible says that when we grow older, it becomes easier for our light to dim. Did you know that? It becomes easier for your light to dim. 
And as you begin to retire and you think about traveling and vacationing, if you begin to move all of your affections and all of your attentions onto your children and your grandchildren and collecting seashells and all these realities, the Bible is warning you to watch out. You've got to stay on mission. <sighs> You're breathing and that life was given so that you can, Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, all tongues, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, folks. You're still on mission. God hasn't taken you home yet. You can't sit out of the game. Now, you may be thinking, well, what about my fantasy football team? And what about my pottery class? And what about being at every single moment of my grandchildren's existence? And what about collecting my seashells? And the God of the universe is saying to you, if that's you, he's saying to you right here in this verse, awake awake out of your spiritual sleep and recognize that people are perishing all around you because the word of God says that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Do you know what that means? That's another church thing we say all the time. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Do you know what that means? We just talked about that in the Christmas sermon. We can't keep taking our economy of thinking on the biblical text. This is serious. This is not this is this harvest he's talking about is a harvest of people, thousands and millions of people that are going to hell. They don't know God. They are in darkness. They are separated. They are stuck in their shame and their muck in the mire. That's the harvest that's plentiful. And the laborers. The children of God, those who are fruity and filled with light, were few. Therefore, older generation, you that are filled with fruit from God and you are filled with light, you've got to stay on mission because the cost is too the cost is too high. So this is a massive exhortation to not waste your life. You can't waste your life folks like did you know that the average high school student in today's generation watches more tv collectively than they ever study in their entire academic career through school like like that's serious like that's sad that's incredibly sad and that's why i'm trying to teach my kids to be so careful right with technology and all that time that they spend on their screens because it makes their minds soft and their hearts Hardened. Oh man, I wish I could just fillet that open more. But let me just say a quick exhortation. When you are engaging in that screen over and over again, and your children, it's making their minds soft. Oh, there's some beautiful books, folks, some Christ-centered books, The TechWise Family, other ones that just really, really talk about this faithfully. It makes your mind soft. You literally start to lose some cre creativity. It might sound weird, but you lose some ability to imagine, to do some things that God has designed for you, and it hardens your heart. You, you don't feel things the same way. The technology, folks, is a dangerous thing when we're not stewarding it and keep it, keeping it balanced and in perspective. Like, did you know that the average adult male spends two to four hours playing video games per day? Are you tracking with me? Two to four hours per day. Folks, we're talking about grown adult males right now. Grown men playing two to four hours a day. That's 14 hours or more a week on video games. That's like a part-time job. 
folks. Hey, hey, men, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes right here. Open your mind. Hear what I'm saying? If that's you and you are playing video games at that level, you're spending two and three hours per day, 14 hours per week. If you're doing these things instead of leaning into your marriage and your kids and your finances and your career and your church and your community, if that's you, the scripture, the Bible is saying, awaken my brother out of your sleep. Get in the game with your marriage and with your families and on Christ-centered realities. Hey, look at me. Get off the video games, grown men. Like, sell them immediately if you know that you have a problem stewarding your time and it's distracting you from your God-given responsibilities. Like, if you are not playing those video games with your elementary age children as a means to fellowship and you're sitting there and this is your primary way by yourself that's removing you and isolating you away from your family, remove them from your house. Listen, this is an all-out epidemic in our culture. There are statistics from both Lifeway and Barnum that are saying it's crushing the family structure. Men not getting off the video games. Men, we're hurting people and we're hurting ourselves and we got to be honest about that. Okay, listen, because one out of every five men, according to this study, play video games more than they do any other recreational activity at all. Are you tracking with me? One out of every five men play video games more than reading, exercise, taking a walk with the dog, hanging out with their kids. They do that more than anything. Video games. Listen, there are millions of better, wiser, more profitable ways, my brothers, to spend your time as a 32-year-old, as a 39-year-old, as a 42-year-old. Come on. Like, like, don't you understand? Don't you see that you've been given this radical position to be a leader ahead of your home, a leader in your community, a strong man that is able to fight darkness, expose darkness, preach light, be fruity, and have light and love and self-control and patience, gentleness and kindness permeating the lands that you live in. Man, as an adult, my brothers or sisters, if this is you, you have an incredible responsibility and opportunity to put this thing away and to say yes to better things. Like, isn't that good news? Like, listen, God is saying to everybody, that means me, that's me too, and that's you. That's not just the, it's not about just guys and the adults on the video games. Listen, God is saying to you, and God is saying to me that there is a danger, a sin-infested danger inherently going on when we are not looking at the stewardship of our times and we are deviating from the things that God is calling us to do. He's saying, be careful because culture is pulling us and causing us to slip away from our design that God's created us to be. So whatever your something is, you know what it is. It's not just to be video games. We're not picking on video games, whether it's video games or whatever that thing is for you. The word of God is speaking up and is shouting loudly and is saying, awaken, 
from your sleep. And that is good. Good news, because if you are alive and you're breathing, and you are, because you're listening to this sermon, that means you have a pulse. And if you have a pulse, it means you have a purpose. Every person has a pulse, has a purpose. And let me tell you, your life counts so much to God. Are you with me? Like right now, where you're at today with all of your muck and your mire, God, he still wants to do great things through you, my brother and my sister. Because here's the thing, family and friends, we can't let this radically awesome gift of life pass us by. We've been given a specific budgeted amount of dollars and days, and praise Christ, we're going to give it all back to him because it's our joy to do that. This is an amazing opportunity we have. And folks, we are capable of so much more than we realize. Sometimes we've been in so much pain in our life and in our story, and we just, we, we don't feel like we can do things, and we feel like we've been stuck for so long. But God's saying, hey, you're so strong, you're so secure, you can do so much more than you realize. Turn to me and walk with me. Okay, so right now, here's what we're going to do to wrap up today's sermon. We're going to spend some time in prayer, and we're going to spend about four minutes meditating upon this sermon and how we might need to awaken in whatever area of our life so that we can get more involved with the things that God is calling us to do in our lives, in our marriages, whatever it might be in our churches. And so the video is going to come on. We're going to listen to some music to help us to reflect. There's going to be one question that's going to show on the screen. And I just want you to sit with God right now. And I want you to say, God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this sermon? What needs to awaken in my soul? What parts uh, am I sleep spiritually that my Christ-centered headlights need to come on? I believe God is going to be faithful to us right now as we do that. So let's spend about four minutes doing that, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to close us in corporate prayer. All right, let's do that now. just want to say thank you We just want to say thank you oh, You came and you said oh thank you Oh. 
Amen. Amen. Okay, so we've all had the opportunity right now to spend just a few moments considering where we might need to be awakened in our soul from spiritual sleep. And I want to encourage you to take more time throughout the week. Man, be a disciple who is spending time in devotions with God. So this week, here's my exhortation. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord and say, God, where are you inviting me to awaken out of my slumber? Because I'm so ready and I know I'm so capable in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us, Lord, and even though we didn't deserve it, you so radically lavished so much on us. All these blessings, all these gifts, this position of adoption, but Lord, it's not just these seven identifiable blessings of the triune God that you've given us. It's your right now, ready and available grace and mercy that's constantly falling upon our lives, even though we fall short every single day. So Lord, we want to be awakened. We want to be awakened and invigorated to do all the things that you've called us to do. We want to be awakened to the things that you're saying to not do. And we want to go after that with joy. And we want to be encouraged at the things you're telling us to go do. And we want to be confident men and confident women and confident little boys and girls saying, yes, 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 I can do this. I want to do this because it's good. It's good for me. So, Lord, my prayer today is that every person that is leaning into this sermon would walk away markedly different and with an aim. Lord, let us be a people filled with intentionality and an aim, not walking around with nothing in our hearts. May we all walk with intentionality and with aim that says Christ is the target. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.